theme this, this year is feel the passion. And I, I've made the observation that in anything that you want to be successful in, the one thing that you must have that is absolutely required, even above education or talents or giftings or abilities, is passion. Because if you have passion, you're equipped with what even many of those who have talents, education, and abilities do not have. And it is a misnomer to think that just knowing something means that you automatically have it. You don't. I know what a Ferrari looks like, but I don't have one. You see what I'm saying? Okay, just knowing something doesn't mean that you possess it. But those who have passion go beyond to the next level. And they possess. And what always causes people to break out of the pack of the, of the rest of us is passion. And in Ecclesiastes 9 and 7, it says in the message, as I've pointed out, uh, we're using this theme and this text as well for this year, seize life. Then in Hebrews 4, where we've been for several weeks, verse 14 through 16, this book that was written, uh, the authorship is undetermined. It was either Paul, Apollos, or Timothy, they believe. I kind of lean toward Paul some days, other days toward Apollos. Apollos was also very skillful and eloquent. And this book is written by a man that is both and uh, who understood Jewish theology and helped be able to translate the Old Testament types and shadows in theology into New Testament fulfillment, fulfillment where Christians in the New Testament could see the continuity of God's word and how God's incredible word uh, was fulfilled in Christ. But I've been reading here in verse 14 beginning, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Just turn to somebody and say, there's some things you need to see. Settle it in your mind. We have a great high priest. Do you see that? Amen. That is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Years ago in Brazil, there was a fire. I think it was in Sao Paulo, San Paulo, Brazil. Sao Paulo, Brazil. And a skyscraper that was 27 stories high. Fire broke out in the lower stories and everybody above that was trapped. Those who tried to use the elevators to get down learned tragically the last lesson of their lives that elevators in a building that is burning usually go to the floor that is burning that's as far as they can descend. This particular incident is what caused many firefighters around the world to be aware of this fact. As the fire began to move up, as fire does from story to story, people did what they did at 9-11, those who were trapped, that horrific memory. People literally committed suicide jumping out of building windows, the building windows. Others were able to get to the stairwells and continue to climb up until they assembled on the roof, a large number of people. And as the flames worked their way upward and the temperature rose and the smoke billowing, they tried to rescue these people and realized that conventional means of rescue would not work. There was no ladder truck that could extend a ladder that high. Firemen couldn't go up through the flames to be able to get to them. They first thought of a helicopter, so they flew a helicopter over the building. But so many people rushed toward it, 
wanting to board the helicopter, they realized the helicopter would crash. And so they had to back away, and they wondered what they could do, and someone came up with this idea. The only thing that we know that we can do is go get a rope and drop one end to this building, and across the street there was another skyscraper that was also 27 stories high. And we can secure the rope on the other skyscraper after dropping the end of the rope to those on top and tell them to find something secure and tie that rope around it. Now, I want you to imagine 27 stories high with flames billowing and smoke boiling, roiling upward. They had to get out on that rope. All I can say is, if you want to know what the scripture says when it says hold fast, do what you would do as if you were on that rope. Do you know that I would be holding on to that thing for dear life, getting out 27 stories above hard cement and concrete below with nothing to catch me? I'd hold on to that rope. And I tell you what else I would do. I'd first want to go take a look at that knot, whoever tied it. <laughs> I'd want to make sure they had tied that knot properly. Y'all in agreement with that? No granny knots for me. Y'all know what a granny knot is, simple little knot. Uh-uh, I'm talking about I want to see double half hitches and square knots and I want to see knots. I mean, I want that knot to be this big around before I get out on that rope. Well, there are two things that the scripture is saying that we need to hold on to just that securely. One is the message that we have a great high priest which cannot be touched. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That our high priest can be moved by our circumstance. Never let that go. Hold it as securely as you would that rope before you swing out over 27 stories of height. The second thing that you hold on to is let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You never let those two things go. And so we've been talking about incredible keys to incredible breakthroughs. That here and there, people and circumstances broke out of the pack. They had passion, and because they had passion, they left everybody else that was content with the status quo to break out into the dimension of the extraordinary and the supernatural, to become everything they could be and get everything they were meant to have and be what God had destined them to be rather than accepting limitations. But the one driving force that made them do that was passion. Passion compelled them to keep stretching and reaching, and God honors passion. Father, I ask you today to speak to us now. Teach us the principles of your word, not just the stories, not just the characters, but the truths that are contained in these, that we might apply your eternal wisdom to our lives and similarly see transformation occur as it did to those that we read of. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. 
I got another Boudreaux joke for y'all. Y'all don't mind, do you? Is it okay if I tell you a Boudreaux joke? For those of you that are visiting, I'm from Louisiana. I'm Cajun. My mother, all her family were Cajun, so I can tell them, like I said. You be careful. Amen. Unless you got some Quibido, Thibodeau, Babino, Fontenot, something back there in the background. Just be a little careful. Amen. Okay, Boudreaux had been missing for a few days. And Clotilla suggested to Marie, his wife, that they should go down to the sheriff's office and file a missing persons report. Now, when they got there, Deputy Guidry at the desk asked her for a description of Boudreaux for the report. And Marie, his wife, said, well, he's about 25 years old, 6 foot 3, weighs 190 pounds, is very well built, extremely handsome, soft-spoken, and treats me like a queen. Clotilla looks at him with a surprised look on her face and says, Marie, that's not Boudreaux. Boudreaux's 50 years old, five foot four, weighs 260 pounds, fat as he can be, ugly as sin, as obnoxious and treats you terrible. And Marie smiling said, yeah, but if they can find this one for me, Boudreaux can stay lost. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, just suppose you could, just suppose you could transform from being Boudreaux into what Marie was describing. Wouldn't we all want that? Most of us would like to be everything that we're supposed to be in God. Most of us also recognize that we haven't got there yet. I look at the scripture and one of the most powerful of all teachings that Jesus ever did concerns the principle of the power of the word. He told the parable where there were four types of soil and the sower went out to sow. And he sowed some on ground that was rocky ground, had a lot of stones, and because of that, not a lot of earth and the roots could not get depth. And he talked about people who don't have a lot of Depth And so the sun comes up and they wither and die. And Jesus went on to explain that these are people that, that because they are not deeply rooted in the word, mm-hmm, then problems come and struggles come, which are an inevitable part of human life, and they wither and die. Just tell somebody, dig a little deeper, would you do that? Amen. Sink your roots into the word of God. He told of a second type of soil, and that soil, when the seed was sown, was among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. And Jesus described the thorns as being the cares of life. And he said, what happened is they got things backward. The main thing became the lesser thing, and the lesser thing became the main thing. And they got their priorities inverted. And what happened was all of us have cares of life. You got to work. You got your car needs repairing. You know, roof needs to be fixed. I mean, we all have cares of life. But they became over involved in worrying about those things and neglected their spiritual growth. And therefore, there was a direct, as it were, inversion of what was supposed to be important in terms of priorities in their life. And they suffered and lost out with God. You can't become overly involved. This, oh, I love the old song. We never sing it anymore. 
But it goes like this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That simply means to say, live for both, not just for one. In either case, don't just live for this one, don't just live for that one. Some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And so some people are so earthly minded, they have no heavenly value in terms of what they're laying up for themselves. No, nothing set aside. And then Jesus told about seed that was cast and the birds of the air came and consumed it. These birds of the air being the distractions that, that consumed the word before it could take root in our heart. I'm convinced that to a large extent, what he was talking about was the way we respond to the ministry of the word, both in church and in our private devotions, that we read and we don't meditate. We allow other things to distract us. Turn on the TV too fast. Amen. Too quick to, to have conversations over lunch and forget the value of the word rather than rehearse it and, you know, leave church and interested too much in and other things, make sure you get to the ball game. Nothing wrong with that. That's not what I'm saying. But instead, we're just doing the church number so we can get to the thing that really interests us. You understand? This failure to value the Word of God means that it doesn't maximize its potential in our hearts. But it's not really those three types of thing, soil that, I'm, that fascinate or intrigue me. It's the latter type. Because on this ground... Uh, the same seed was, was sown, and some brought forth 30-fold or a 30% increase, some a 60-fold or 60% increase, and some a 100-fold or a 100% increase. Now watch this, because this is extraordinary. It was the same seed. Are you hearing? The same seed. The same soil. The same weather, the same climate, the same humidity, the same fertilizer, the same care from the same gardener. Everything was exactly the same, the same irrigation. And yet some brought forth 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. I look at that and I ask, why was some so effective and others not? The only thing that I can see that God is telling us here is that it's your passion that makes the difference what you do with what God gives you. Oh, somebody in the building ought to say amen. You can be content and satisfied at 30%, or you can say, I'm going to grow to the 60 or the 100% or 100-fold level and so when I look at this, what I'm challenging you to do in this series is realize there is a dimension of more. Somebody say more. Would you do that? And just look at your neighbor and say, you were meant for more than this. Would you do that? Yes, you were. More than this. There's a dimension beyond where you're at. And that's financially. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody. That's emotionally. That's spiritually. There's another dimension educationally. Seriously, I'm considering, as you know, I'm, I'm working through some educational requirements now because there's more that you can do. There's more physically that we can do. In every dimension, there is more. What determines whether you move into that dimension is your passion. Amen. And there's something about passion 
that most of us do not like being around people who have made the decision to stay average. Think about it. Don't want to get any better. They've been through so much that they have determined my get up and go has got up and went. I'm going to just be content to stay in mediocrity the rest of my life. Now, we all are nice to one another. But in terms of wanting to be hang out with that, no, uh-uh. We don't like it. We prefer to be around people that challenge us to be everything we can be. Amen. Who stretch us a little more. And so the question then becomes, how do we move beyond this realm where we are and how do we break through? Because it wasn't in the, it wasn't in the water and it wasn't in the soil. It wasn't even in the seed. It wasn't in the fertilizer. It wasn't in the care of the gardener. Because exactly what was done to the one that brought forth a hundredfold was done to the one that only brought forth thirty. And the one that brought forth sixty. It was what was done with the seed that was given to them. You decide how far you will go with that. Not me, not God, you decide how far you will take what God is telling you. I just need somebody to say, I want more. Would you do it? I want more. And it is precisely this that I've been addressing in this, oh, this passage is consuming me. It's eating me alive. 1 Corinthians 3 and 3 where Paul chides the early church for falling back into carnality when this group of believers that had been so passionate and strong for God began to fractionalize and divide. And one say, oh, Paul's my favorite. And somebody else said, no, Paulus is mine. And they actually began to become carnal. And Paul said, when you do this, he said, you're still carnal. And he said, are you not behaving like mere men? That when you become carnal again, this is a compelling reason for you to stay close to God. That when you move back and slide back in the mediocrity in your relationship with God and you become carnal, you become no longer Superman or Supergirl as it was, God's empowered child of power and might. You become an ordinary man or woman again. And I've looked at this and, whoa, this is eating me alive And when you are amped up, I mean wired, I mean whenever you're out there and you're committed to God, then you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And and as Paul said, we're more than conquerors in Romans 8 and 37. Amen. And I love what he says in Ephesians 3 and 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The power is already there. And what I hear so many people saying is and praying I've been in, in conferences where, the, you know, the theme is get more power. You know, that, that's what they're ultimately trying to say. We need more power. According to this verse, that's incorrect theology. We already have power we're not using. We need to find the power, that, uh, rather find the passion to use the power we already possess. Somebody in the building say Amen. Put it another way, you don't have automobile, you don't have, and, and you don't have motor trouble, you've got transmission trouble. 
Amen. It's not rather you have power. You got power. It's your, you don't have a transmission, you know, that's working properly. You're not moving yet. And what makes the difference is passion is what compels us to move. So I've looked at all these ways that, that people, you know, excel and uh, how they go beyond and why. And I look at those in the scripture and I find that, again, every single time passion was involved. I look at some of them. Abraham with his extraordinary sacrifice of Isaac moved God extraordinarily. He moved the high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I look at Hannah who prayed an extraordinary prayer and moved God extraordinarily to break her barrenness. I look at Paul and Silas who were in a Philippian jail, backs bloody and beaten and semi-conscious in stocks and bonds in an inner prison. Does anybody know anything about inner prisons? Amen. I won't tell you, inner prisons are the worst kind. They're worse than those that are made of steel and concrete. And we all sympathize with a man that's locked up and behind bars. But let me tell you who to pity. Pity the one that's locked up in an inner prison. Amen. Who is held back because they're locked up on the inside. Paul and Silas moved God extraordinarily by offering God extraordinary worship at the midnight hour under those circumstances. And I've pointed out that for you to receive an extraordinary breakthrough or move God extraordinarily, you've got to act in an extraordinary way. Mediocrity doesn't phase God, neither does need. Need doesn't move God. There's need everywhere. And he said in the days of Elijah, there were many or Elisha, there were many lepers, and yet he only healed Naaman. Why? And there were also many widows, but only one was sustained. Why? In both those cases, you will find that they had great passion. Naaman came all the way from Syria into a country where he was at war, putting his life at risk and, and jeopardy to meet the prophet, who then told him, go baptize in muddy Jordan, and that assaulted all of his sensibilities. He was offended and started to leave. And the little servant girl said, if he'd asked you to do something big, wouldn't you have done it? And he had extraordinary passion and submitted to because he wanted healing so desperately. God healed. The woman gave an extraordinary offering, her last cake and oil. Today, let's look at extraordinary service. Because extraordinary service moves God extraordinarily. I'm turning right now to a story that we all know, but you don't hear a lot about. Genesis 24, 19. It is now time for the, the, the promise to be passed from Abraham on to Isaac. The promise is to Abraham, I'm going to make you great. You will be a father of nations. You will be blessed and you will be a blessing. And from you will come the one that will bless the world and, and all of these things. It's all going to die with him unless his son, Isaac, finds a wife. He must not only find a wife, he must find one suitable. Because between Isaac and Rebekah, they will impart the DNA that will become the DNA of the Messiah physically. you got to see this now. And so Abraham turns to Eliezer, who is head of his household and a servant, and says, I want you to go to the land of Pedanaram, and I want you to find a wife for my son and bring her here to him. Now, that's quite a formidable task. 
because he has to cross a hostile desert. Excuse me, the, the, one, the other one is being repaired, and this one keeps sliding around. We'll get it done. Just stay with me. I hope I'm not distracting you. But, but he has to cross a hostile desert, takes 10 camels with him. It's hot. You think Houston is hot. Houston is, is a tropical paradise compared to this burning desert he's got to cross. And after many days' journey, he arrives and he's given the daunting responsibility to find a bride suitable for his master's son. Now look, guys, it's hard enough finding your own without trying to find somebody else's. I mean, what qualities do you look for? Well, obviously, she's got to be beautiful and all of that, he thinks. And, and even that's a challenge because beauty to one not, is not necessarily beauty to another. And besides, you live long enough. And you know what happens? They say beauty fades. That's what they say. I didn't say it. That's what they say. Plastic surgeons can keep it glowing a little bit longer. You know, by, by taking away stuff you don't need and putting some there you didn't get the natural way and well, go figure out what that means. But they can enhance your beauty, but even after a while, they have reached the end of their abilities and natural aging begins to take its toll on us. And he knows, I need something in this woman that's going to persevere through the ages. It's got to endure. And it needs to be in the foundational beginnings of this nation. She has to put this into her and to her offspring. Her DNA matters. It's not just the DNA of Abraham and Isaac now, but there's another DNA that must make its contribution. And so he thinks, what can I I, I, I seek for, is it ability, is it education, is it beauty, is it skill, is it giftedness, is it height, is it whatever, is it, and he names, he thinks of all of these things that might be criteria for someone who's looking for a wife for himself, and then he wisely steps back and says, I know what my master's son needs. My master's son needs someone that knows how to serve. And he says, Lord, I've been through the desert these many days. I've got 10 thirsty camels. And when the young ladies come out to draw water, which they will because they didn't have running water in those days, and, and, and plumbing, city plumbing, he said, let her, when I ask her to give me a drink, let her volunteer to give the camels drink also. Lord, have mercy. Oh, now listen to me. Ten camels. Do you know that the average camel can drink 40 gallons of water? And do you know that water weighs 8.3 pounds per gallon? Which means times 10 camels, we're talking about 3,320 pounds of water that she's going to have to volunteer to draw. And... I don't know how she did it because there are two kinds of whales that existed in that day. One was a surface whale that they would put a cover over. The other was a whale you walked down into. This cover over the surface whale was so that evaporation wouldn't cause all the water to be evaporated. You'd remove the cover during times when you were drawing the water. 
And maybe it was that kind. But if that's the case, she had to draw up using her biceps, her hands, and her shoulders, 3,320 pounds of water to give to the camels. The other kind had steps that went down into it that became wet and slippery whenever you were carrying buckets of water up from the whale, and she would have to go down several times into the whale, and most of the whales were of this type. She would have to walk down the steps that were just carved into, as it were, the face of the wall of the whale itself, and she would have to walk down into it and carry the water up. How many trips do you think she had to make to carry that water up? If, it was, if she could carry a bucket that weighed 80 pounds, which is not even 10 gallons, I would remind you that's over, that's over 400, pound, 400 trips into the whale. Amen. Now, what I'm trying to show you is, and what I want you to see here, ladies and gentlemen, is this, is that she was going to have to volunteer for a big task. And you can do some praying. But I want to see you pray and get somebody to do that. You may be a prayer warrior, but I want to, I'm going to put your prayer into the test right now. I want to know, can you get somebody to come out of the crowd that's going to make that kind of, of contribution voluntarily? Uh-huh. There are a lot of young ladies, but Scripture doesn't even say how many came, and there may have been a number of them. And some of them could have looked at him like, hey, you crazy, man. <laughs> and not, in your own, not on your life am I going to do. But Rebecca came and said, I'll not only draw for you, but I'll draw for your camels. And she volunteered to answer a question that he hadn't even asked. He didn't even ask her to draw for the camels. And that moves me because in this day and age, of egocentricity with me, my, and I being the primary pronouns. When people are so self-centered, you find nobody wants to really serve anybody anymore. And one of the great keys to breakthrough is how much you're willing to serve somebody else. Or oh, somebody in the building say amen with me right now. Hallelujah. She had a servant's heart, and God wanted that to be in the foundational DNA of the nation that he was raising up because it also needed to be present in the Messiah that was coming. And she volunteered, and the prophet said, Thank you, Lord, she's the one. And God, here's what you need to understand. Had she not volunteered, she would have been childless to the day of her death. I want to show you something. I've got revelation for you. But it's because she volunteered that when she got over to meet Isaac, then she found out that she was barren. And she told her husband Isaac, give me children or I die. And she was, he was able to go to God and entreat for her. And her barrenness was broken. And she brought forth children. You don't know, but your future may be tied into how much are you willing to serve. Mm. your breakthrough may depend upon how much you're willing to serve. These days, everybody wants to be paid for everything. You know what I mean? 
And I, I'm, I just let me talk. I won't be paid for everything I do. And, and, and you know, and, and, and that's the attitude so many of us have. But listen, churches can't be what they're supposed to be in a community because then the budget would never be large enough. And I, I think of what happens to me. And please forgive me for using myself as an example. But every week I'm in and out of the country. You know this. And when I come back in... U.S. Customs and Border Patrol always ask me the same question. There's a form you fill out. Are you carrying over $10,000? My response is, I wish. Amen. That's what I always tell them. I wish. Amen. And then, do you have any fruit and vegetables? Have you been on a form? And was your trip personal or business? And when I come to that question, I always ask them, I used to, these days I know what to check. I, I used to ask them, do I check personal or business? They said, well, what's your situation? I explained I'm president and senior pastor of Christian Tabernacle and CEO of the business aspects of the church. And we're, we've got ministries and schools and orphanages and all this. And they say, oh, that's business. I say, but guys, I don't get paid for what I'm doing over there. My salary is derived for what I do at home. I mean, you're doing all that stuff and you're not getting any extra? No, I'm not getting any. They don't know quite how to handle that. The reason that little box is there is if I am getting something, IRS wants to know about it. So they can get their share. You know what I mean? Sure they do. Uncle Sam's waiting with his hand out. But I don't get anything. And even if they do give me something, as Brenda will tell you, every offering I get, I have them make it out to the church and let it go directly to missions because I don't keep it. The need is so great. I don't want you to feel like I'm a saint. I'm not. But the reason I do that is because simply when you see how well the rest of the world lives, you realize that sometimes the poorest among us are living better than the average person overseas. And I'm serious. Come on, help me out just a moment. Amen. And we can never be satisfied if all we have is an attitude of I won't, I won't, I won't. Give me a sense that we are supposed to have our hand in, 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 the, in the pot, as it were, and receiving our portion. And so I tell the guys, and, and, they, and they say, well, that, that, well, if you're not getting paid, then mark it personal. I said, well, I, you know, I don't know about marking it personal because I, I wouldn't be over there if it wasn't for the church I'm connected with. They said, well, you know, and so we've just agreed that there probably should be a third category. Amen. That's essentially what we've all agreed on. So I mark it personal every time and then have to make the same explanation time after time until they've gotten to know me by now. Amen. But at any rate, the point that I'm making is simply this. And forgive the, the, the personal reference. There ought to be something you do for God you don't get paid for. Come on, I'm, I'm preaching well right now. There ought to be something you do for the kingdom that you're not getting paid for. You need to give something. You need to dedicate part of your life to God. Where would Christian Tabernacle be without the choir that sang a while ago and the praise singers and the musicians? Hello, somebody. Where would Christian Tabernacle be without ushers and, and without hostesses and without Sunday school teachers and without a children's ministry? We couldn't do for God what we're doing right now without hospital workers and prison ministry and Oh, God, give us a heart to serve. Because serving is what makes you have breakthroughs. I read of that story in, 
in the New Testament of Mary and Martha who were there when Jesus was in the house and he was teaching and Mary sat at his feet wanting to hear the word and Martha was in the kitchen preparing a meal and she finally in exasperation came and told Jesus, look, my sister's sitting out there, out there listening to you teach and she's not doing anything and I'm the one slaving in this kitchen and preparing this meal. It's not right. You need to say something to her. And Jesus turned around and said, Martha, you're troubled and worried about many things. Not just a servant. Hold that phrase, many things. Because I'm going to get to that. Just say many things. And he told her, Mary's chosen that part that is needful and it'll never be taken away from her. I got a thought for you. Suppose we had the heart of Mary in the hands of Martha. Suppose we had the heart to serve that Martha had, but, or rather the hands to serve that Martha had, but the heart of devotion that Mary had. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't think we can have both, but we can. Here's what troubled Mary. Mary was getting her significance out of her service. Don't serve so that you can be noticed or that somebody will pat you on the back or appreciate what you do. Because I've lived long enough to know many times they don't. But you know what you do? Do it anyway. Because you're not doing it for men, you're doing it unto the Lord. Colossians 2, 23. Well, let me just read verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. That's the next verse. What does it mean? It means we're playing to a higher balcony, a higher crowd than the crowd that's watching us. Second thing is that people who serve must be careful to not do. First is don't do what you're doing for recognition because you will be disappointed. Don't do what you do for a title because it's not about titles. Hello. Don't do what you do so that somebody will say, oh, this one is all of that because they usually won't. And then secondly, don't judge those who don't do what you do because you will get mad at some folk. And you're, you're, you're going to get burnt out and you're going to get worried and you're going to get troubled by those who are still out there having fun while you're in the kitchen slaving. You hear what I'm saying? And so what you do is love them anyway. Keep on serving God and hope they come to the revelation you have that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Find a place to serve. Amen. The happiest people in the world are those that serve. Not those that receive. I saw that just this week when I was in Germany uh, preaching for Isa and Hervoye. Uh, they took me one day to Hernhut, which is the community where the Moravians lived. Now, for those of you that don't know your religious history, I'll share a story with you. There was Count Zindedorf, who was a, a landed lord, meaning he had estates. And there were a group of people that originally came from, from uh, uh, Czechoslovakia, I believe it was. And uh, they 
were strong believers and devout in God. Some of them were followers of John Huss. And, and at any rate, they were a persecuted group of people. And they came up to that part of Germany. And he was a devout Christian, was the count. And they asked if we could settle, can we settle on your property? And he said yes. And he let them live on their estate. And they had evolved through the years and had different doctrinal beliefs and all of this. And they fought each other and they were fractured. And then most of us have heard that the Holy Spirit fell in Azusa Street in 1905 and a little earlier in Topeka, Kansas. And that was where it fell after all of these many years of there not being any presence of the Holy Spirit. Wrong. Do you know that in 1729, in a Sunday service, in that little community of Hernhut, that those Moravian believers who were fractured, divided, and couldn't stand each other went to church one day, and the Holy Spirit showed up. And by their own account, what happened in Acts chapter 2 happened to them. It so transformed them that they fell in love with each other. And then they started a prayer meeting that ended up going 24 hours a day, seven days a week for over 100 years. Not only that, they were the first Christian organization or group of people to send out missionaries as a group. And they started sending out missionaries. Listen, half of their people they sent out to be missionaries. One family stayed home, worked jobs, had a business or formed, and paid for the other family to be missionaries. Powerful. Literally, they assumed the entire budget of a missionary family. The first two missionaries that went out, do you know what they did? They sold themselves into slavery so that they could be missionaries to African slaves. I need a better amen than that. I'm talking about people that said, I'll give up my freedom and I'll be a slave so that I can witness, oh, God have mercy. Could it be that one reason there is such sensitivity in the African or black community is because somebody years ago was willing to give up their liberty to be able to reach people that were not being reached for God? I read that. It moved me profoundly. I cried. Then from there we went to Wittenberg. That's where the Protestant Reformation started. And I saw the door, got a photograph of it, of the door that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to. Castle Church, it was a Catholic church then, 95 Theses to begin the Protestant Reformation. In fact, we got there late. And you know what they did? They booked a hotel. And they didn't even know it. They booked it online to find the best rate. And where we stayed was right across the cobblestone street from Castle Church. And the hotel we stayed in was built in 1391. Amen. It had started out as law offices. And I could look out my window and see the Wittenberg door. And God dealt with me that whole night. Oh, Lord. But I walked outside and there was a whale. The whale was dug when they built that, that law office that was now a hotel. And what inspired me, the church wasn't even finished for another hundred years after that. What inspired me was Martin. That well had been there that whole time. You could look over in it and you could see water. That means Martin Luther drank from that well right there. Some of us are drinking from wells that somebody else dug. And you need to leave a well somebody else can drink from. Serve the Lord. 
by serving mankind. Amen. Oh, somebody give God some praise right now. Where would CT be without these wonderful people, the army of volunteers who serve and lead in ministry? I encourage you to find a place to serve. And some of you do, maybe not here, but in other ministries and things outside the church, serve people. And I conclude by saying that you can also have a breakthrough because of extraordinary commitment. Not only does extraordinary service move God extraordinarily, but extraordinary commitment does as well. I think of Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Daniel 3, 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down to this idol, and they could not pray to anyone else. They had to bow down to this idol. And they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That is, we don't even need to think about it. We don't need to discuss it. We already know our decision. If that is the case, he said, we've got a furnace of fire heated seven times hotter. They said, we don't even need to talk about it. If you got that furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, did you hear that? If not, that's commitment, baby. That's commitment. Hello, somebody. Commitment is when you don't know if you're getting out, but you're going to do the right thing anyway. You're going to stand for what you're supposed to stand for. And it's interesting that on this day I would come to this, and it's been planned for a long time, and it would just so happen to be Memorial Day because how many people would have walked away from battle if they had known that I'm going to lose my life? Thank God they didn't walk away. They stayed and paid the price. Can I hear somebody say amen? But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And God delivered them. Amen. In the middle of the fiery furnace, he delivered them. And all you need to know is that when you stand for the right things, you will go through a few furnaces in your lifetime. Ah, I need to hear somebody out there get real with me. You're going to walk through a fiery furnace. But the king looked inside and saw a fourth man like the son of man walking with them. And what you need to know is though you walk through the fire, you'll not be consumed. And when you pass through the waters, they'll not overwhelm you. You need to stand for what is right. Daniel also stood. They, they tricked. This is their second pass around now. They failed the first time, so they made another pass at the same thing. And they passed a implemented a law where you couldn't pray to any other God other than the king for 30 days, knowing that Daniel was so committed. And in Daniel 6 and 10, after they passed it, this is what Daniel did. Now, when Daniel saw that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees anyway three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. I want to speak a word to a church 
this house that in these troubled times of egocentricity where it's all about me, my, and I, when people lose their service, they also lose their ability to stand. Hello, somebody. When it's your comfort you're looking for, you can be led to make incorrect decisions. We've got such an example going on in our city right now. How many of you have received my email about the mayor's amendment? Okay, most of you haven't. You need to give us your email. I sent out a letter by one of the most esteemed pastors in this city, Dr. Ed Young. Added my comments. But listen, you know what's going on right now? And you need to understand, I'm going to say this before I begin. I am against intolerance and prejudice of any kind. Any kind. Listen to me. Being mean and calling yourself a Christian doesn't go hand in hand with what the Bible calls Christianity. That's why I told you the story of the Moravians before I got to here. Because I want you to know that we're supposed to love everybody. You don't need to be mean. You just need to treat people right and love folk and be compassionate. Hello, somebody. Amen. And look, you need to also understand that neither should we ever stand at a church door and say to people, you can't come here. The ones that need to come here are the ones that often we're trying to keep from coming. Don't you stand at the door and tell a man that's living with a woman and not married to her, you don't come here. Uh-uh, you put your arm around his shoulder and say, you, you come on in. Somebody that's on drugs, don't you stop them. They're the ones that need what we have. The ones that need God, we need to love everybody. Makes me think of that old gospel song we haven't sung it in years. Makes me love everybody. Amen. Where has the love gone in some Christian areas? I see people get mad and red in the face and tendons and cords in their necks stand out and hate and uh, grimacing and faces and, and they're contorted into, and, into ugly images that are supposed to be those of Christians. No, no, no. Uh-uh, love everybody. But having said that, you still stand for what is right. You still stand for what the book says. Amen. And already in this nation, we have laws that are against discrimination. But in our city, our mayor has introduced an, an amendment that's going to be voted on this week by the city council. You know what it is? That if you perceive yourself to have been born the, with the incorrect gender, that you, if you're a man and you think you were, I'm a man living in a, uh, a woman living in a man's body, that kind of a thing, that you can go now start using the ladies' restrooms. That's the amendment that they're trying to pass right now. Not only that, you can go into the ladies' locker room and showers and take your shower. They're saying that if you don't, that you, that, the institution who keeps you from it will be fine, and there are severe penalties. That's businesses, churches, schools, health clubs. Hello, do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, I want you to treat everybody right, but listen to this. I've got granddaughters. I don't want somebody...
And I realize that some folk may not like this, but it's the Bible you're struggling with. I'm going to love you. And the only reason I mention this, I never bring issues to this platform. But if they make it an issue, I have no choice. I don't like it that they're making me do this. Because, you know, down, you go to Houston Airport. How many of y'all ever fly out of Terminal D, the international terminal? Y'all fly? Numbers of y'all. They got that thing so messed up right now. There's three lanes where you drop passengers off. Amen. Three. You're supposed to be able to drive through. And, and instead, they shut two of the lanes down. They got cones, and there's only one lane. And they want you to just turn in at an angle, and you end up blocking two lanes. And if it's kind of full and another car comes behind you, you block everybody. And so, uh, you know, I, there was a number, and I, I called, and I said, Dude, I'd like to offer some suggestions. And they said, well, this was passed down from higher up. They said, we actually agree with you that, you know, and it's, it's complicated. And I said, for security purposes, all those of us trapped in that line, if somebody leaves the back end of their car out blocking that, that's very insecure, you got two lanes, you ought to be able to pull up and just drop passengers and go. And uh, they said, well, somebody higher up didn't see it. I said, okay, well, thank you. And I said, just between me and you, what do you think of this? Would it be a good idea if they developed an office of common sense? <laughs> I'm not being ugly. I'm being right. I think I am. Look. What I'm trying to tell you is love everybody. Treat everybody the same. Have compassion on everybody. But look, some guy that's a predator can walk in and say, I really think that I was born with the incorrect gender and walk right into the restroom and a church usher can't stop him. A school teacher can't stop him. A coach can't stop them from the locker room. You own a business, they're going to find you. Oh, come on now. Can I just preach the way that I feel as I'm done? I realize I'm going to get some people hating on me for this. But I'm sorry. I'm just standing for what's the word of God. I have some granddaughters. I don't want guys going in there and doing this too. Amen. And somewhere along the way, we, we need to realize as believers, we have to take a stand for what we believe. Hear what I'm saying. And the reason we're where we're at right now is we didn't take one before. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And God help us to stand for the principles of the word. Never to be unkind. Never to show hate. Never to show unfairness. Never to discriminate and treat one different than another. I mean, you treat everybody the same. I'm serious. Treat every person the same. Love them. Amen. I mean, just between me and you, God loved us. While we were sinners, I'm not proud about some of the stuff I was doing, but he loved me anyway. A 
And I conclude by saying that one of the elderly ministers of this city, 82, 83 years old, I've forgotten his name, civil rights leader and participated in civil rights during the civil rights movement. A black man that is a minister in our city was invited to speak. Houston pastors have been getting together. And I'm challenging you. The reason I sent out these emails, you call our, 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 our city councilman. You send them emails. You flood them with letters. Tell them this is not right. And everybody's trying to say, oh, it's civil rights. No, it isn't. Because as the minister that I just mentioned said, I was there during the civil rights movement. Civil rights was about the liberty to do right, not the liberty to do wrong.